The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Meet talking book narrator Madeline Bazard. Welcome to ACB Reports for July 2018. During the first week of July, many ACB Reports listeners, as well as this host, will be in St. Louis attending the 57th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind. So this month, ACB Reports presents one last feature from the 2017 conference. Madeline Bazard has been a talking book narrator at the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky for 30 years. During the conference session on July 4th, she talked about her career and her life. It is an honor, as I said, to be here, also to celebrate the 4th of July with you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Now, today we said it was going to be murder, mayhem, mismanners, nah. Maybe just me and my life as an open book, full of strong language, Ah, a little violence. And no explicit descriptions of sex, Ray. None. First, before I begin telling you a little bit about me, I'd like to start with what goes into my recording process. Now, I always warm up my voice before I read, so today I'm going to do that with you, if you don't mind. And if you'd like to join in, I'd love it. First, we're going to do a couple of musical scales. Ready? La 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 la. Very good. La 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 la. Even better. Me, 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 me. No, 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 no. You see, it's about me. It's about me. Us, 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 us. Now we're going to limber up our lips, close your mouths, and blow. Feel the tingle. It's great. Then stick your tongue out. Not at me. Not at me. Close your mouth and blow. See, that's really good for the tongue, too. You know that's a raspberry. And it always brings to mind, when I was in New York at acting school, Um, I used to walk down Times Square, look at all the theaters, and there was a seemingly homeless man in New York. He'd stand in Times Square on Broadway, and that's what he'd do to show his appreciation for the women who walked by. (laughs) They called him the Raspberry Man. It took me a year, but finally I walked by and I heard, I thought I'd made the big time. Then I loosen my jaw. I pretend to eat maybe 50, 60 pieces of gum. Now, in the early morning hours when I'm driving to work, I've noticed people looking, and they do think that I'm quite insane, which there is a possibility of that. 
Then I'll say, like, um, you remember this one, Betty bought a bit of bitter butter, but she said this butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter. Or red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Say that a lot. Or unique New York, unique New York, unique New York. After all that, I'll yawn. <gasps> oh, that gets some air into my lungs, opens up my throat, and then, then I'm ready to read whatever book I've been assigned. Now, I always try to read through the book first to know what the author has in mind for his characters. The books come from NLS. They're reviewed by our studio head, Steve Mullins, and then they're matched with the appropriate narrator. The book I'm reading now is called A Book of American Martyrs by Joyce Carol Oates. And it begins with a male character's point of view. After about 100 pages of the 650 pages, the viewpoint changes to that of several females. Well, this threw me off when I began to read the book because if the voice of the narrative is male, then a male narrator should be used. But as there were changes in points of view, and the majority of them were female, I continued reading this book. I haven't finished it yet. I don't have a choice in the books that I get. Steve gives me what he wants me to read or what he needs me to read, and I have never turned down a book. There was a narrator once who would not read any book with profanity or sex. And she read a lot back in her day. I don't know what she'd read today. <laughs> Some of the books I get, I have to tell you, the pages are too hot to touch. And I'll give you an example. The Nama Trilogy by Jacqueline Carey. Nama's Kiss, Curse, and Blessing. 71 Hours of the most scorching scenes I have ever read. You want to talk about explicit descriptions of sex? It's no wonder I lost my voice after I finished reading that. Now, in my first two-hour session, I might read something like, oh, I don't know, the best American science writing with theses on thermodynamics, aerodynamics, geophysics, astrophysical cosmology all with language I'm really not familiar with, and I'm not going to bore you with it right now. In the next session, I might read, ah, t'was brilligan the slivy toves, did gyre and jimble in the wave. And then I might read The Lost Life of Ava Brown, with excerpts from Ava Brown's diary, original transcripts in German. I studied French. But with this book, I was lucky because my monitor studied German, and she was extremely proficient in it. She provided me with the pronunciations I needed for those exceedingly long and numerous diary passages. And then so many books contain language that I'm not familiar with. I don't think anybody is. The language of the undead from the Noble Dead Saga. Nami te yadakak. Krai ui, aigshi ui. Anybody know? No, I, I can't translate that for you either, but I can tell you it was really strong language. Now, once I had to read The Oxford Companion to the English Language. Mmm, scintillating. I'm pretty familiar with the English language, but my responsibility was for the entries beginning with the letter S through the letter Z. I sailed through Sanskrit. No, no, I didn't. And then I came upon the heading, synthetic. The notion of synthesis applies to the number of morphemes involved rather than the method by which they are combined. 
When many are combined, a language is known as polysynthetic. For example, Siberian Yupik. Anya galang tukyuk. I think that meant Anya wants a big boat. Siberian Yupik does not come up very often, and it is definitely not my second language. I grew up in Joysi. You know, we have our own language there. Anybody here from Joysi? I always say it's something in the water. It was in Ridgewood, New Jersey, where I grew up, in North Jersey, close to New York City. I graduated from high school many, many, many moons ago. And I went to Bethany College. I went south to West Virginia. I studied there for a couple years, pursued a degree in elementary education. I was really active on campus, and I also acted up a storm in the drama department. I caught the acting bug. Actually, it grabbed me and yelled in my ear, go back east, go to New York City and become a professional actress. <laughs> yes, that's what it said to me. And I listened to it. And I went back east, and I began another chapter in my life at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts on toidy toid and toid No, 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 it wasn't really on toid. I just like to say that, toidy toid and toid I graduated from the Academy, and I found work off-Broadway, and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Now, I started there as the costume mistress and understudy. Then I performed the role of Patty. And I worked there with a now very, 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 very famous Billy Crystal. I was the costume mistress, and he was the theater manager. Neither one of us at the time were acting. I also appeared on television in the late great soap opera, Another World. Yes, let's hear it for Another World. I made a couple of movies in New York. One was a short film. I don't really remember much about it, except that I had to climb a ladder on the top of a building in Lower Manhattan. Very scantily clad, I'll tell you now. And then the next scene was me standing in the ocean doing Tai Chi in an evening dress. It was really a very, very artsy film. <laughs> and another of my cinematic adventures was entitled Sweet Savior, which starred an on-the-skids-off-the-skids Troy Donahue. Mm -hmm. He was once every young woman's heartthrob. Now, this movie was really, really gruesome. It was about a Manson-esque cult. And I'll tell you right now also that this movie made the list of Worst films of the decade. Quite an honor. Then I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I was promptly told it is Louisville. Don't move your mouth at all, Louisville. Louisville, it's just right back there, Louisville. And I always have found that to be peculiar because as far as I knew, the city was named after the king, King Louis. And I've never heard of a King Lua. I did finish college there. I got my BA in education from the University of Louisville. And I was offered a job teaching. I was also offered an acting job on the Beef and Boards Dinner Theater circuit. Corporal punishment or acting? It was a decision I had to make. I opted for the acting job. And I went on the road. I performed in dinner theaters all around the country, in regional theaters, children's theaters. 
I remember once I was with Stage One. It's a terrific children's theater in Louisville. We were performing several Shakespearean vignettes, which we would then take to different classes in different schools. As a sort of a taste of what they could look forward to, we presented the scenes to a group of high school teachers. During my scene from The Taming of the Shrew, I as Kate was haranguing my husband, Petruchio, and I was flailing my arms about, and I was running all around the stage, screaming and yelling, and my skirt fell off. I have a lot of safety pins with me today. <laughs> I've done a lot of commercials, radio, TV, local, regional, on and off camera, narrated industrial films. I've taught acting to children and speech to college kids. I've even taught a few episodes of fourth grade classroom TV. And for 35 years, I taught aerobics, dance aerobics, high and low impact aerobics, my last class was an energizer class. That's what we called ourselves. And we had been together. I started as the senior aerobic, or I was teaching them as seniors. Yeah. And um, I was probably with them for 15, 20 years. And then all of a sudden, something happened. I became a senior. How did that happen? I don't know. And then last year, I did retire. I do go to Zumba classes now. I, I kind of miss teaching, so I thought maybe I could get recertified and teach Zumba to seniors. Now, in Louisville, I added to my creepy movie repertoire with a film called, well, at the time it was called Zebra Killers, and now I think it's called Savage Cops. It was billed as a black exploitation film, and I was a lady of the night. Yes. <laughs> what a career. I starred in another short film called Remember This. Now, this was a weird tale of a woman who quit smoking, which I had done. And I remember being a little concerned because in the film, I was required to chain smoke. And so many people I knew who had quit smoking started again when they picked up a cigarette. And I was going to be picking up a lot of cigarettes. But I survived as a non-smoker, still am, and very happy about that. Thank you. And anyway, the weird tale, a chain-smoking woman, her twisted psychiatrist, and a giant dancing cigarette. That was really an artsy film, too. <laughs> but the best film of all, Three on a Meat Hook. You've heard of that one? Not familiar with it? Good. I'm really glad. <laughs> and yes, I was one of the three. I was Becky. I was the best friend of the leading lady for a very short period of time. And this best friend of mine, well, she invites me to her boyfriend's creepy farm, where I did have several meaty scenes before. I was pickaxed and hung on a hook and served for dinner. I didn't tell you the film was about cannibalism, did I? Yep illustrious career in films. I traveled a lot for acting, was on the road for months on end. Now, long distance relationships, they might sound exciting in books, but they aren't that easy in real life. And my first marriage did not survive my vagabond lifestyle. We had just moved to Philadelphia when the marriage fell apart. And instead of going further back east, I returned to Louisville 
And I continued to audition. I performed a little bit more, but I really felt it was time to make changes. This feeling that I needed to change something coincided with a trip I was going to take to Cairo, Egypt. I had this opportunity to go to Cairo for a month. Now, I had no ties, so I took that trip. Now, this chapter in my life, well, it's made of some of that stuff in the romance novels I've read, not the bodice rippers. There was a young Dutch sous chef. Then there were exotic sights and fragrances of the Khan El Khalili market. And then the intrigue of descending stairs into a dimly lit antiquities shop to sip sugary mint tea in little glass cups and illicitly exchange foreign currency with robe-clad bearded strangers. And I am amazed that I am here today. But I also did go horseback riding on the Sahara Desert with the pyramids of Giza behind me, and that was pretty exciting. Inevitably, I was confronted with a question of staying in the land of Tutankhamun or going home. And I returned to Louisville. And I'm really glad that I did. First of all, I knew I had to put roots down. I didn't want to go out on the road anymore. And second of all, I knew I had to find work. I had heard of the talking book program at APH. So I went in, I auditioned, and I got the job. And it's a great, great job. But best of all, I met the real man of my dreams. I got married again, and we have had 29 very happy years together. Thank you very much. And we were married right around the corner on the shores of Lake Tahoe. It was magnificent. I added to my life three absolutely amazing, beautiful, wonderful stepdaughters, which makes me the, of course, amazing, evil stepmother. Three sons-in-law followed, and now there are seven incredible grandchildren. And I want to tell you, that includes the brand new grandbaby. She was born just one week ago. Her name is Sailor Grace, and she was 6 pounds, 12 ounces. This year has also been a year of graduations for grandchildren from college and high school and marriage proposals for grandchildren. So maybe in a year or two, there might be great-grandchildren. We'll see. We'll see. They all call me Maddie. And the other day, one of my granddaughters texted me to thank me for checking up on her. And I said, well, that's what Maddies do. I'm really lucky. I have my Louisville family, and I also have my Joycey family, my sister, my nieces, my nephews. And, well, it's nice to have them. I go see them once in a while. After spending time on the Nile River, I wanted to tell you that we moved on to the Ohio River. Now, living with the river as a neighbor is really amazing. It's busy, it's noisy with barge and boat traffic. Now, the barges I watch going up and down the Ohio don't carry hmm, Cleopatra, but they are exciting. I watched in all once as an entire factory went down the river, followed by a house, followed by a hot tub. Now, there are times when our neighbor, Old Man River, doesn't just want a cup of sugar. He wants to move in with us. Our first flood occurred four months after we moved into our house. It was during the year I won the Scorby Award, and what an honor that was. Yeah, thank you very, very much. That was such a surprise. 
When I received the news, there were seven feet of water in the lower portion of our house. We didn't move out to get to work. We boated in and out to our cars. Now, we don't always boat out. When the water hasn't come into the house yet, we can walk out through the water to our cars. The last time that happened was maybe about two years ago. When I got ready for work, I put on my chest-high waders, strapped my book bag to my back, grabbed a flashlight, and set off. It was very early, very dark, and it was eerily quiet. And it was very slow going, as all five feet two inches of me was wading through at times two feet of water. Alone, I thought, until I heard smack. And then again, smack. Well, my heart rate sped up as I considered all the possibilities. What creature was smacking its way toward me? Is it hungry, and is it going to take a large bite out of my rubber-clad leg? There were times when the water was up and down and up and down as I'm walking, so I stopped on a small rise, and I called my husband, who was sleeping peacefully in our nice warm bed, and I told him I thought I was being stalked by a wild and vicious animal, which at this point I had seen. It was a beaver. Yep. It was an angry beaver because the water had obviously jarred him out of his home. And my darling husband says to me, what do you want me to do? And I said, rescue me? And he said, from what? A beaver? And I said, yes, that would be lovely. And he laughed. And he said, Oh, he's probably just looking for some place to put his money. What? You know, in a riverbank. Oh. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Now, these were smaller floods. We had a big one. We had a great big one in 97, and that flood drove us away because the water came into both the lower portion of our house and then the upper portion of our house. But we miraculously managed to get all our belongings out before the water came up into our living space in multiple trips on a pontoon boat. But the only item that we had to leave behind, and it was sad, was our piano. Now, when the water went down, we took the opportunity to raise our house onto a higher foundation. We rebuilt and we moved back. Ten years later, we had a fire. No one was hurt, and that was a good thing. It took us a year to rebuild after that, but we did it. And we're still there on the river in a taller house made of fireproof bricks. But you know, I've always wondered, with this history of floods and fire, do you think pestilence will be next? I think I read too much. I've read about 1,500 books. I can't say I remember them all, but I do remember my first it was Moonstruck Madness, RC18808. <laughs> it was also my introduction to the aforementioned Bodice Ripper. Now, you know we narrators recognize these Bodice Rippers immediately because on the book cover, the hero is absolutely gorgeous. And then the heroine is always even more beautiful, and she's wearing some beautiful gown, 
and the bodice of said gown is always torn to pieces. Moonstruck Madness, my first. And this wonderful first book was sent to Washington, and it was rejected. Yep, NLS sent it back. I had to reread it. It was accepted the second time around, and I think that was good because I learned a lot about timing and reading and research and perseverance from that rejection. So I always want to thank NLS for sending it back and, of course, giving me a second chance. And speaking of thanks, I want to thank my monitors. Now, they watch for misreads and for mispronunciations while I'm reading because we narrators are notorious for misreads. Like somebody once said, the wanton woman. Yep, they did. Wanton woman, of course. And then somebody else said, a mausoleum. Mausoleum? But the best to me was a narrator who started a book called Malcolm the Tenth. His monitor stopped him and said, sir, that's Malcolm X. <laughs> no one said we narrators were real smart, you know. And I once read, Red Skeleton didn't go to his senior prom because he had no body to go with. Maybe you already know he was afraid to cross a road. No guts. Bad, isn't it? It's really bad. Monitors keep me honest to provide me with correct pronunciations of words that are often difficult to find. And I also thank the proofreaders for doing their part to catch nasty noises and mistakes we might have missed while recording. Recently, I was recording The Forgotten Girls. And I had read, Stevens watched Carrie Finley walk in through the hospital doors holding a tray full of coffee and a couple of donuts. Seems harmless enough. But we received a correction from the proofreader. The passage actually read, Stevens watched Carrie Finley walk in through the hospital doors holding a tray full of coffee and a couple of printouts. I'm really glad she caught that. Another rejection coming my way. And I always want to thank the patrons of Talking Books, all of you, whose letters, phone calls, emails, and notes have helped me because I think, I hope I've become a better reader. And also, they've made me very aware of the audience, something which is missed when recording in a studio and not performing on a stage. So this morning, I'd like to leave you with these thoughts contained in a letter I received from a Talking Book patron, Jerry. Life is filled with daily chores, family responsibilities, national and international realities, and difficult moments, as well as happy times, good friends, fun activities, and personal joys. Each one of us must deal with all life brings to us. One of these personal joys for me is books. Reading provides great entertainment, educational information, laughter, occasional tears, and just plain fun. Your narration has added to those facets of reading. You bring great pleasure and enhancement to reading and listening. Thank you for making my reading life better and more joyous. And thank you to Jerry for her kind letter, and to all of you here who read and listen. I can only hope that I bring as much to your lives as you have brought and 
continue to bring to mind. Thank you, ACB, for having me here today. That was talking book narrator Madeline Bazard from Louisville, Kentucky, recorded in Reno, Nevada on July 4th, 2017. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. ¶¶